Parshas Mishpatim, the greatest event in the history of our nation, the most remarkable spectacle that the Am Yisrael would ever witness, was Matan Torah. We stood at Har Sinai and we saw what nobody before ever saw. Has there ever been any such thing like this great event, or has anything like this been heard? Has the people ever heard the voice of Hashem speaking from the midst of the fire, as you have heard and survived? Even, even Avram Avinu, the great thinker and philosopher, the man who discovered Hashem against all odds, he wasn't zoichet to such a spectacular display of Hashem's presence. It was so remarkable, an experience so sensational, that nafshi yatsa bidvaro, our souls left our bodies when we heard his voice. And the Gemara says in Shabbos that they all fell down dead. And here we'll understand that to mean that they all found dead, they all found, fell down in a faint. They fainted in fright and they had to be revived. When they heard that tremendous voice, the words, it was an experience of the greatest love and yearning for Hashem that our nation would ever experience. Therefore, forever and ever, the memory of that great day is etched into our minds, and it will always be the focus of our nation's yearning. Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth, we say to Hashem. Shira Shirim. The deepest desire of the Jewish nation is to experience a second encounter of that kind. He should let us hear his voice a second time. Our greatest desire is to experience again that great moment when we heard the thundering voice of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I am Hashem, your God. Now after this was all over, at the conclusion of this glorious experience, there's no question that the people were on a very high level of enthusiasm. It's certain that the Am Yisrael felt the highest emotions of dedication to Hashem. Their minds were attuned and prepared now for the greatest of ideals, and they expected now to hear who knows what kind of instruction in walking the path towards Hashem. The greatest ideals and attitudes, the deepest of Torah secrets, and the mysteries of our purpose in life, the perfection in all of its details. That's what they were expecting. After all, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the master of the universe, had just come down on Har Sinai to rendezvous with his chosen people and to prepare them for their historic future as the one nation that would serve him until the end of all history. And the Am Yisrael was on such a high that they were ready, they were ready to accept it all. Na sevenishma. We want to do everything. Just let us know what is the path that we should walk, that we should walk on. The path that we should walk on in order to delight in your presence forever and ever. And we will run in haste down that road. So what happened then? What followed Matan Torah? A remarkable thing. And these are the statutes that you, Moshe, should place before them. Shemos. Laws of dealing with your fellow man, all forms of damages, and the, mo- and the monetary relationships with those around you. We sit down to learn Mishpatim and Perush Rashi, and we're reading a law book. The dry details of how to treat your fellow man's property, his cows and his sheep, 
his shirt and his land, all the various payments for bodily injury, and the laws of torts and contractual agreements. Parshish Mishpatim is famous as the source of dinim of dine mamonos and ezikin. And that's a big question. What's the Mishpatim doing over here? These aren't the high ideals that we were waiting for. Is this what we accepted the Torah for? We had just heard the voice of Hashem, the booming thunder, the bolts of lightning, and the smoking mountain. We saw the presence of Hashem with our own eyes. And for this, just to hear these mundane monetary laws, it's a remarkable fact that this was the introduction to their relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The details, the minutiae, the petty claims and counterclaims of a man and his fellow were the first things that they heard from Hashem after the great event of Matan Torah. Just at that very moment, when their hearts were open to everything, ready to hear the most sublime ideas. I, know, I don't know about you, but I think it's a big question. Let's say a Baal Tshuva comes into Yeshiva for the first time. And so he'd like to hear about ideals. He'd like to be taught noble aspirations and life-changing attitudes. That's why he came in. Because he's an idealist. And instead, what does he get? The first book they give him is Baba, Baba Kama. He wanted ideals and instead he's being, he's being treated to a course in contracts and torts. He's looking for Hashem and instead... He finds laws about what happens if one's animal trespasses into his fellow man's field and eats some of the grain. Or if you leave your wine barrel in the public path and someone's camel falls over it. And it's endless. It goes on and on. Sometimes there is a little oasis of a few lines of Agadita by which he can refresh his neshama. A Balchuva, an idealist, loves that. And he's waiting for it. Sometimes it seems to him that all the rest of it is just unnecessary. If only we could skip over all of this and just spend our time on the noble ideals. That's what he's thinking. But you find in the Gemara that Agadita is only one-seventh of the Gemara. The other six-sevenths is taken up by practical questions and technicalities. And it takes up a lot of space. It boggles the mind how much time and space is devoted to details and sub-details. Minutia of damages. Baba Kama, Baba Metzia, Baba Basra. Three big Masechtas. And young people spend their lives studying them. Years go by. They could have learned Midas Toivus in that time. They could have learned Mesilas Yishorim and Choivus Levavus in that time. We lose out on so many great things because of the time we spend in the three Babas. I remember years ago I met a Jewish street cleaner. He was dressed in a white uniform and he was pushing a barrel on wheels and holding a brush. He saw me on the street and he stopped me to talk, to tell me that his grandchildren had started in yeshiva. But he was bothered. I'm surprised, he said. My grandson is being trained to be a lawyer. They're studying law. What kind of law, I asked him. So he was telling me. He was explaining to me the beginning of Baba Kama, the first Mishnah about how if, a man, how if a man sets a small fire and a wind comes and the fire spreads to his neighbor's field. Here's this little boy and his mind is being occupied, cluttered up with a shor and a boar and a mave and a hever 
and all and all the others nizikin and toldos and all the details of damages. And it's not merely that one yeshiva has this system; it's the system of the Jewish people, and we do that because that was the system that our Kaddish Baruch Hu first showed us when He gave us the Torah. It was Matan Torah and right away Mishpatim. Now certainly Matan Torah opened up for the Am Yisrael a vista of Shlemus, a new horizon of lofty ideals and noble attitudes. Absolutely it did. The Torah is a ladder that is all the way up to the heavens. Great ideals of the mind, perfection of character, and Kirvas Hashem. It's all included in what the Torah teaches us and obligates us. But what we're learning here is that Parshas Mishpatim is in the is the is that Parshas Mishpatim is how to get there. The very first rung on the ladder is to learn about Nizikin, and it's going to be the attitudes that we mine from Parshas Mishpatim that will guide us all of our lives as we come close to Hashem. What comes afterwards is certainly a good thing, but the first rung is Nizikin. Mishpatim is, is, a, is the necessary beginning, the foundation of all greatness. But the question we have to ask is, why is this so? Why is it that in order to begin a career of devotion to Hashem, you have to make, make it your business to be very cautious about Mili Denizikin, careful with your fellow man's safety and the safety of his property? Why is Parshas Mishpatim the first rung on the ladder and the foundation of Avoidus Hashem? And so we'll explain as follows. The preface to living a life of awareness of Hashem is the knowledge that this world is not Hefker. We have to realize that even to walk on the face of the earth, we need permission. La Hashem Ha'aretz Umlo'ah. The earth and everything in it all belongs to Hashem. Only that, Ve'aretz Natan Livnei Adam. He gave us permission to walk on it and to use the things in it. But we have to realize that it is He who gives us permission. And He gives us permission only with certain conditions, most of which are included in the Mile Denizikin of Mishpatim and Dinim. Certainly, places you can't walk, certain places you can't walk, and certain things you can't use. You can walk only where you, where, where, where you are permitted to go. You can use only what he, Hashem, allows and only in the way he allows. Suppose that something belongs to somebody else. So you have no right to walk into his territory or use his property because Hashem didn't give you permission. Wherever you walk, whatever you use, you must always be careful to follow his guidelines. Mishpatim teaches us that when a person uses what is not his, he's actually taking what HaKadosh Baruch Hu owns. When he's not careful with other, peop- other people's properties or selves, then he's making his way in this world without the permission of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, before any step that you can make in this world, any dealings you have with somebody else or somebody else's property, you must be aware that you're dealing with somebody much bigger than you imagined. If you eat what belongs to somebody else, you are robbing Hashem. If you walk on somebody's property without permission, so it's also Hashem who didn't give you permission. You are trespassing on Hashem's property. He only permitted that man who made a Kenyan, the one who acquired ownership, to use his things. Anybody else has to be very careful. 
What we're saying now is that private property is a sacred foundation of the Torah because it includes the awareness that everything belongs to Hashem. Private property is really Hashem's property. As far as you are concerned, this man's property is Hashem's property. And even if you have permission to use something or to go someplace, but if you use it in a way that the owner doesn't want, so you're sinning against, you're sinning against the real owner. And if you're a shoymed, if you're guarding something that belongs to someone else, so you're guarding Hashem's property. And if you're not careful and you cause damage to someone else's property, you're sitting against the property of Hashem. And therefore, to be aware all the time about how you are treating this man and that man and about how you are treating your neighbor's property and your friend's objects means that you are keeping Hashem in mind all the time. Because it's impossible to be as careful as the Torah expects. It's impossible to fulfill the details that the Torah demands of you unless you are aware that Hashem is always watching and that He is making these demands of you. Parshish Mishpatim is full of examples, full of warnings of how to be careful, how a person must be careful, and all of them are models for any form of damage that a person might cause someone else. And if you want to be a success in this world, you will have to be on constant guard to never cause any harm. That's step number one. And so Mishpatim is the foundation of awareness of Hashem in our lives at all times. And it is therefore the foundation of all Avoidas Hashem. This is why the Gemara in Baba Kama says, if someone wants to be a chosid, a pious man, let him fulfill the things of Nezikin, of being careful with other people's money and body. Baba Kama. Now let's pay attention to these words. Man debai, a person wishes to be a chosid. It doesn't mean that if a person is very careful not to harm anyone, that he's considered a chosid already. No. Even though you were always on guard and you never caused anyone any harm whatsoever, you're not a chosid yet. You might need much more to become a chosid. But if you want to become a chosid, this is the first step that you must fulfill. You must learn to be constantly aware of Hashem. Aware enough that you are always on guard to protect your fellow man and his property against any injury that could happen. It's a great principle that you're hearing right now. If you want to reach the summit of perfection, if you want to be a chosid in the eyes of Hashem, it starts with being careful with your fellow man's property. For some of us, this may seem exaggerated. Suppose someone would ask you, what's a program for me to become a pious man? With our little heads, with what we know, we would say, well, first on the list is fasting, a lot of fasting. But it doesn't say a word about that over here. Maybe a chassid fasts as well, I can't tell you. But not a word is mentioned in this Gemara about fasting. Who knows what kind of program we would think up if we were asked to decide. It's lucky that we didn't have the chance to put anything into the Chumash and into the Gemara, because Mile Dinezikin would be all the way on the bottom of the list. There was once a boy who wanted to enter my shul to study Torah. 
The door was locked, but he was a dedicated boy, full of enthusiasm. So he was trying to make his way in through the window. I happened to come just as he was breaking the window. He, did, he didn't intend to break it. He was just trying to force it open, but it broke. Now a window costs money, but I didn't say anything. He was a yeshiva boy, a 16-year-old boy, so I kept quiet. He should have paid, but I didn't say anything. A few months later, I met him on Church Avenue on Shabbos. And he's all dressed up in his Hasidish kapoite with silk lapels. Beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to honor the Shabbos. Now, he wasn't a chassid. He didn't come from such a family at all. He came from, he came from Canarsi. I don't even know if his parents are showing me the Shabbos. But that was his idea of being a chassid. He wanted to wear chassidish kapoite. Nothing wrong with that, but it costs a lot of money. These kapotes can cost a small fortune, silk lapels. And I was thinking to myself, that's his idea of being a chassid. Because the Gemara has other less fanciful ideas. Someone who wants to be a chosid, the first thing is Likayim Mili Denizikin. He should fulfill all the details of never doing any sort of damage. If you want to be a chosid, you should be thinking all the time about what you're doing. A chosid thinks before he pushes on somebody's window so hard. And if he breaks it, he pays for it. There was a man, a Talmud Chochem, who always met me on the street, and he told me his divrei Torah, long peshetlich, he would recite for me. I would see him from a distance and try to hide from him, but often he caught hold of me, and each time he did, he told me his peshatim. I never told him my peshatim, and one day I heard that a grandchild was visiting in his house, and she fell out of the window. Ay, 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 a terrible tragedy it was. But I saw that this man never began to learn the elementary principles of Torah. He was already involved in Sisrei Torah, in delving into Pesukim and telling me secrets that the, that the Pasuk is Miramis. The plain Peshad was no longer interesting because he knew that, certainly. So he was going into secrets of the Torah. But here is the most open lesson of the Torah and he has overlooked it. He forgot that Hashem is watching him all the time and making demands of him. He forgot, he forgot that he has to always be on guard. How could anyone allow a little child into his house unless he first ran to inspect if the windows are locked shut or if that window guards are properly installed? With all the peshetlach, you know, it didn't occur to you that you're a shoimer. What we're seeing now that Nazikin, not to damage other people's things, is a great responsibility because it demands constant awareness. It's only possible to fulfill these dinim if you keep Hashem in mind always. Because if you were aware of me always, says Hashem, if you would train yourself to always be aware that I'm watching you, you'd be careful. And if you're not practicing being aware of me all the time, then it's impossible for you to succeed in this world. It doesn't matter how big of a Talmud Chacham you are. Imagine you are a man who is going before Pesach to distribute packages, parcels to needy families. So you step into your car and you're loading that you load it down with various packages, matzahs, bottles of wine, and other things. You're a special fellow. You must be because you're taking from your own time and your own money to help others, and you're in a hurry. 
You have a lot of good deeds to accomplish. So you're speeding through the streets. Oh, you're speeding now. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, That's worse than if you hadn't delivered any packages at all. You're endangering people. There will be a much greater punishment for that, for endangering other people, than for not being a goymel chasadim toivim. The very first thing that's expected of you is not to transgress any nizikin. What comes after that is certainly a good thing, but nizikin is the most basic responsibility you have. And the father, who is Mechanicha's children, in the mitzvahs of Hanukkah, every child must have a menorah. He wants to be from the Mahadrin. He wants to be from the Mahadrin. And even the smallest child is standing in front of his menorah being trained to say the, that brachas and the light and the candles. It's beautiful. But then the father walks out of the room. He's a Russia. He's not a chosid. And he's not a mahadrin. He's a Russia gummer. A real Russia. Not a half-baked one. And if you tell him that, you'll earn a lifelong enemy. You call me such a name? We're all oivde Hashem in this house. Look how much we're mahad there after mitzvahs. Even the little children are being mechunach. Being trained to light Hanukkah candles. candles, And so we tell him, no, my friend, you're looking at the top of the ladder, but you're forgetting about the first rung. Because Nezikin ben Adam l'chavero, being careful not to harm somebody's body, his life, his property, and his feelings, is the very first consideration. And our great people always live that way. They climb the ladder of perfection one rung at a time. And even when they stood on the highest rungs, they never let go of the first step that they took. When Rebzel Mele Volozhin, the brother of Rav Chaim Volozhin, was on his deathbed, people came to visit him. And they found him lying on his bed and learning Torah without stop. This is how it's described in Torah's Ha'adam. Rabzel Miller was very weak. He was at the last moments of his life. So the people there said to him, Our dear Rebbe, please take a rest. You're so tired and weak. So he said, I can't stop. It's a Gemara. Even in one's dying moments, he should be learning Torah, Shabbos. So, so Rabzel Miller kept on learning. But I want to get up out of bed, he said, because Chazal says that a person should spend one-third of his time sitting, one-third standing, and one-third, and one-third walking. Ketubus. So I want to get up and walk a little bit to fulfill this Gemara. Now Rabzel was very weak. He was on his deathbed and he couldn't get up without a cane. But he didn't have one. Oh, there's a cane right here in the corner. In the corner. Take this cane here. Take it. They said to him. But Rabzelmada said, No, no, I can't take the cane. It doesn't belong to me. Someone who borrows his friend's object without permission is a robber. Baba Messiah. So they ran out to find the owner to get permission. And only after they returned did Rabzelmada get up and use the cane. He walked around for a few minutes talking and learning and then he laid down and took his last breath. That was a man who had his head in the clouds all the time. He lived on the highest rungs of perfection, but he always knew that being careful with the possessions of others comes first.
And not only their possessions you have to worry about, people themselves. Let's say a man is putting away his Pesach things. He's carrying down the Pesach dishes. And he sees one thing among the dishes that he wants to put with the Chametz things. To keep it for all year round. So as he's carrying the box of dishes down the stairs, he puts this one thing on the stairs for the time being. Oh no! Stairs are Arishus Harabim. Stairs are Arishut Harabim. Arishus Harabim. Where people are going up and down. An object on the stairs is like a board Berushus Harabim. It's a board Berushus But since people have the right to go up and down, your family has the right to use the steps, so you're endangering their lives by putting something there. Nothing is allowed to be put on the stairs. If somebody would step on it, you know what could happen, Khalila. The man lost sight of Hashem for a, that man lost sight of Hashem for a few moments by putting that item on the stairs. The sin of making a boar is the same as eating swine. And to eat ham, to eat pork, you're far away from that. It's something you would never do. But leaving something on the steps, it happens all the time. And because not having wicked intentions is no excuse, Hashem leaves you almost no room for error. Hashem says the double expression, pay, you must pay, is coming to tell us something. It's for emphasis. Even though you had no intention to cause any harm, I just put it down for a second. Still, pay, you must pay, says Hashem. When there are children's toys on the floor, that's your responsibility. Maybe you're familiar with your floor. But if someone else coming into your home, and they always do, they don't know that you leave things on the floor. So it's your obligation to collect the toys. That person is not aware of pitfalls that you set for him on the floor. There was an elderly woman here who walked into a home and fell over a child's toy. She broke her hip. So the parents said, oh, and ah. Uh, and they said, we're so sorry. Sorry? You're mazikin. You're responsible. You have to learn what it means to have regard for other people's welfare and their property. Excuse me is not enough. It's a sin on your part. And you'll pay for it. The utmost caution is required when you are a shomer. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you a child, so you were appointed as a watchman, and now it's your duty to be on guard at all times. And even though you think it's, honor, it's onerous and it's burdensome, so you say, how many times do such things take place? It never happens, it's a rarity. Excuses won't help. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not absolving you because of your excuses. Mothers must always feel a great responsibility for the safety of their children. Now, if something happened, Khalila, and, and parents sit down and mourn and they say, Hashem gave us a gift and now He took His gift back. So people praise them for their emunah, for their belief in Hashem. But we must know that sometimes this is a very great hypocrisy. Because if it had been possible for the parents to foresee and forestall what happened, so they are considered as if they had done this act with their own hands. Instead of parading at Sadiqim with their great emunah that Hashem did it. So Hashem says, don't blame me. If you allow your son to go on a trip to a different city with a certain group, is that called responsibility? Do you know the person in charge of that group? Your son doesn't know the streets in a strange city. 
In your own neighborhood, you know where to be careful. Khalila, it happens sometimes. A boy was hit by a car. He was unaccustomed to the way the cars turn on that unfamiliar street. And there was an accident. And the boy never came back home. The parents are held responsible for that. Just to give you a son for Hefker? Do you know who's in charge of that group? Is it a responsible adult? For a boy in a strange city, it better be someone extremely responsible. Would you give your money into that man's hands? Let's say you had $10,000. Would you allow him to handle your 10000 like that? And your son you allow him to handle? Without studying, without always thinking, every man thinks he's honest. He knows that others are not, but he's honest. Let me tell you a little story. There was a time when I used to take a taxi every day. I had to go from one school to another to talk. And I used the same driver every day. He was an old American Jew, an 80-year-old man. To all the institutions that I had to speak, he always took me there. So he became like a close associate of mine. Now this man didn't know how to learn a thing. He didn't even know Siddur. He knew nothing. But one thing he did know. He knew that Orthodox Orthodox Jews are no good. That they all know, that they all know. That's the first thing a secular Jew knows. He was describing to me how his daughter was married. He had an old daughter who finally got married and he hired hired a chasenta to put on a talus and a yarmulke. And she sang, Oh, promise me. A big fat chatzena singing her heart out. When I gave him a make-believe smile, so he said, you, you Orthodox Jews don't have any beauty in your ceremonies. So while he's driving, he's telling me his criticism of, of Orthodox Jews, all of his complaints, this and that, and also how honest of a man he was, unlike the Orthodox. Finally, we crossed the parkway and we came into Flatbush. There was a long way to go yet. And he closed down his meter. I said, why are you closing the meter? So he tells me, because my boss earned enough today. The rest of the fare will go to me. This was the man who prided himself on being honest. He didn't even even dream that anything was wrong. He didn't dream that he was a crook. And that's how it is. The unorthodox don't even know that they're crooks. All they know is that the orthodox are crooks. By virtue of being orthodox... You're already a crook. I walked past the fruit store the other day and I see a lady, not a poor woman. She's wearing a fur coat. She's dressed very proper. So she stops by the apricots in the bin outside and she takes an apricot and begins to eat it. And then a second apricot. She's a gun of. I see it all the time. Gentiles in the street walking past the fruit store and picking off a few grapes and then some peanuts and even a plum. Oh, they'll say, I'm just tasting to see if I want to make a purchase. Just tasting? A nechtegetog. I see it all the time and I tell them it's stealing. You can't steal from the owner like that. And the lady is surprised. Me steal? She would never steal. Without studying, you have no idea what is right and what is wrong. Without without studying Baba Kama and Baba Basra, you are a crook. Only that you have the best opinion of yourself. That's the difference. If you study Baba Kama and Baba Basra, you might continue to be dishonest. But at least you know that you're dishonest.
And that itself is a big achievement. And even if you do study, that's only the beginning. You have to be aware always to apply it. All the rules are models for the small details of how to live every minute. You have to apply the pesukim, the halachas, because what they are is models for the situations you face all day long. It's not only an ox that a man is responsible for. The one who studies Hashem's world, words as intended is not thinking only about an ox. He understands that Hashem is telling him that he is responsible not only for his ox or dog, but for his rickety ladder as well. As for open windows when children are present, and for allowing a child to be alone in a room where candles are burning, for a banana peel on the ground and a dirty tissue on the table, for making too much noise and for how to sit on somebody else's chair, for what he leaves on the steps and for how he uses his shul, the principle of Binyan Av teaches us that when the Torah gives an example, it must be applied to all other similar instances unless some logical difference can be found. All harm caused to others by negligence is punishable by Dini Shamay, by the laws of Hashem. And often the guilt in the eyes of Hashem is extremely heavy. You must always be aware that you're walking in a world that doesn't belong to you. And it's your responsibility and your responsibility is to be thinking always about what Mishpatim is demanding of you. This story I told you once, but it's a piece of Torah, so I'll say it again. Rav Yisrael Zichron Levrocha spent some of his years in Koenigsberg, a German city. In those days, they wore top hats, the Chuvat Shabbos. I think it was tall stovepipe hats, hard hats like stovepipes. So once Rabbi Yisrael was out on the street and there were a number of people who were walking with him. So Rabbi Yisrael said to the people there, the Gemara and Baba Kama says, we have to hold on to our hats tightly because there's a wind blowing. So they said, where is there such a Gemara about stovepipe hats? None of them could recall such a Gemara about holding on to one's hat. So he said, if you put your object on top of your roof, and a wind blows and it falls off and it hits somebody, you have to pay. That's in Baba Kama. Now that's a big Chiddush. Your head is a roof, the hat is an object, and the wind is blowing. So it might fly off your head and hit somebody. Now our hats wouldn't harm anybody because stovepipes, but stovepipe hats are a missile. And if the wind would blow it off your head and it would hit somebody in the eye, it would be a real injury. To us, it's a big chiddish. But for someone who is always aware that Hashem is watching him, to see if he's keeping all the mishpatim, it's not a chiddish at all. Once I was in the yeshiva across the street and I was observing a young man studying Perak Meruba. It's the seventh Perak of Baba Kama and it talks about the laws of a thief the obligations of someone who steals. And he was learning with a real appetite. It was a pleasure to look at. He was learning out loud. He was saying it with real geschmack. And he was clarifying all the complicated details of paying kefel. And I noticed that he was studying from a Gemara that was from my synagogue. It didn't even occur to him that the thief that the Gemara was talking about was he. Stealing a Gemara is not called stealing. He's Chayev Kefel. He has to pay me two Gemaras. Lucky for him, 
I happen to be around. Mishpatim means that you can't just do how you please. You have workers, you have to pay wages. I don't have the money right now. I'll pay you a little bit, a little bit now and the rest next week or next month. Before the sun sets, you have to pay the wages. The sun is going down and the workers want to go home. So you'd better pay him. The Chafetz Chaim once hired a man to drive him someplace in a wagon. And soon, as soon as he got off the wagon and he saw that the wagon driver didn't have any change, he ran off to borrow money to pay the fare. He wasn't going to wait until sundown. Because if you live by the dinim of the Torah, you're always aware of your responsibilities to Hashem. It's not that you're worried about your workers going on strike. You're not worried about unions and union bosses. You're strict with yourself because there's a big boss. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the worst union boss there is. He's a very demanding boss. All day long, how you behave is being regulated by Hashem. Here's a man who gets on a bus, a man with a beard, probably. He's not a Lamdan. But he has a beard. Everyone sees he's an old-time Jew. So he gets on the bus and pays one fare. He doesn't pay three fares. But he sits down and he puts his shopping bags on the seats next to him. And he takes his Yiddish newspaper and opens it wide. Three seats this man is occupying. In the meantime, the bus is getting crowded. And people are looking at these two seats. But they're too bashful to say anything. They're keeping quiet. Of course, in their hearts, you understand what they're thinking. Finally, a tough black man gets on the bus and says, Mr. Move Over. You needed a a colored man to teach you Parshish Mishpatim? I'll tell you something else. Rav Yisrael Salanter used to say that there are certain types of gazela, certain things that you steal, that you can never make a shava on. You can never pay back what you stole. If you steal somebody's sleep, people are sleeping and you wake them up for nothing. Then you're a gazlan and you can never make restitution. So here is a man, let's say, who comes early to learn. He comes to shul early before davening. He gets out of the car with his chavrusas and they're talking like it's the afternoon. It's before six o'clock and they're talking at the top of their voices. People all around them want to sleep yet. They're not going to any shurim right now. Where is your awareness of Hashem? I saw an old Rav going to the mikveh early in the morning with his sons. And he's talking with his big hoarse voice saying, Divrei Torah. And the whole street on both sides is resounding with his voice as he's walking. The tzaddik is going to the mikveh before slichas uwah. Really, he's a hold-up man robbing people on his way to the mikveh. And he doesn't even know that he's doing such a terrible thing. I was thinking, this is why Mishpatim comes first. Because even the biggest tzaddik has to always be aware that Hashem is demanding his best behavior when it comes to the Mile Dinazikin. If you were a high school bum who doesn't care for anybody, so we understand that you're a failure. But you? Didn't you learn that Mishpatim came the first thing after Matan Torah? You're a gazlan and there's no hashava. He can't fulfill v'hashev et He can't give back a person's health that was lost by being deprived of sleep. And it's not only the big things, the situations that we are all aware of. A person must start out with the awareness that HaKadosh Baruch Hu owns the world and therefore everything that we do in this world is our responsibility to Him. 
When studying all the laws of Mishpatim, it is essential to keep in mind that they are all intended by Hashem as models for every form of injustice which is done to others. But people who never learn, people who rely on their innate sense of right and wrong, are a thousand times worse than they could ever imagine. It doesn't even occur to them. This story, I have to repeat it, I have to repeat it, although I told it about a hundred times already. Once a relative of mine, a woman came to visit. So she tilted a chair against the glass door and the chair went through one of the glass panels. Oh, excuse me, she says. And that was the end of it. No, that's not the end of it. It's far from the end of it. And actually, what is expected of you is much more subtle than that. And many of us are faltering all day long without even recognizing our faults. It's frightening to contemplate the depths of the judgment that we will face one day when we stand before Hashem. And as much as you ignore it now, the more surprised you will be on that day. Because the details, so small and so subtle, are all-encompassing. And we are expected to be aware of them always. The Gemara in Chagiga tells us that when a person is brought to judgment, he will be brought up on everything. He'll be charged with things he never even imagined could be prob- problematic. Says Shlomo Amelch in Kohelas, you will be brought to judgment on all the many things that are hidden away from you. And the Gemara explains, this refers to someone who kills a louse, a bug, and someone standing nearby is disgusted by it. If you spit out some spit or phlegm and the person nearby is nauseated by it, it wasn't your fault. You had something stuck in your throat and you covered your mouth. But still, even those minor acts of disregard for your fellow and even if done unintentionally will be brought up against you on that great day of judgment. When you're talking to a person and you have a cold, make sure to keep far from him. You'll cough in his face. You're a mazik. You don't believe in germs. Who cares what you believe in? You're a mazik of the first degree. There are so many things to be careful of. And don't say, it's mina shamayim, it's b'sheret. No, it's blood on your head. You are to blame. In every instance, it could very well be that you are to blame. The only solution is to be careful with mile dinazikin. Once you understand that, you will have to be aware of Hashem all day long. So you're talking to somebody in Divrei Torah and as you're talking to him, you let loose a flow of polluted air from your mouth. Oh, is it difficult for him to bear your halitosis? Now he's too polite to run away from you. But you're a mazik. You're annoying him. But the one who is always aware of Hashem lives differently. I knew a tzaddik whose head was in the heavens all the time. His mind was always occupied with great thoughts. And yet he never spoke to anyone unless he perfumed his mouth first. I knew him very well. And for years he carried a little pocket of Listerine pellets. He never came to speak to anybody unless he first perfumed his mouth. This was a man who lived with the ideals of Musr. Number one is don't injure. Don't bother people. That's the first rung of the ladder that goes up to heaven. And now we understand why Mishpatim, the judgments governing your behavior towards your fellow man and his property, are so important. So important that that it was these laws that became the climax of Ma'amad Har Sinai. 
Because what does Anoichi Hashem Elokecha mean anyway? We all know that it's described as the command to know that there is a God. But what does that mean? After all, I am Hashem your God is merely a statement, a fact. But what are we supposed to do about it? And the answer to that is everything we spoke about here tonight. Because Anoichi Hashem Elokecha was the Klal Gadol they heard on that day. But the details of awareness of Hashem were given in our Parsha. And I'll explain that. So the Am Yisrael who stood at Har Sinai, this whole command to know Hashem seemed superfluous. They had just witnessed the most open demonstrations of Hashem's presence by means of all the wonders that he had performed in front of the eyes of the Jew, of, of Am Yisrael in Mitzrayim and at the Yamsuf. And now at Har Sinai. Who did they know if not HaKadosh Baruch Hu? This generation knew Hashem and believed in Him more than any other subsequent generation. So what was this command? Know that I am Hashem your God. And the answer is this. For the loyal nation of Hashem, it's not enough just to know. To merely accept Hashem's presence as a fact. And then to get back to regular life. These first words that the Am Yisrael heard at Har Sinai, Anoichi Hashem Elokecha, came to declare the necessity of continuing always to gain more and more awareness of Hashem, to be thinking of Hashem always. And so while Anoichi Hashem Elokecha was the Klal Gadol, they heard on that glorious day, all the details of how to be always aware of Hashem were given in Parshas Mishpatim. The awareness that you're just passing through a world that doesn't belong to you is the foundation for living a life of awareness of the true owner in this world. And so Hashem came down, came down on Har Sinai and said to his people, Oh, you're saying Nasev and Ishma, you're ready to do? So let me tell you what I want. That's how I want you to get started. Because this is the most basic way, the most fundamental way of serving Hashem. It's the foundation of the service of Hashem because it means that you are aware at all times that and that He is watching and that He is demanding something of you always. Because although these mishpatim might benefit the welfare of men as well as the perfection of character for the one who trains himself to care about his fellow, Yet the most important achievement is that it serves as constant reminder, reminders that Hashem is always looking down at our deeds, even the most subtle of our deeds, and that we are always obligated to behave as one behaves in the presence of a king. And therefore, even the most mundane activities of a Jewish man or woman are always saturated, saturated with awareness of Hashem. And that awareness is your perfection in this world and your preparation for your eternal happiness when you finally come to bask in the true presence of Hashem in the world to come. Good Shabbos.